Matthew 28 is where we're going to be. And uh, once you find it, go ahead and stand and uh, we'll get into the reading. Uh, the local church series has been a series we've been in the last couple of months. And we've asked a lot of questions, things like, do we love the church like Christ loves the church? Are we committed to the church like Christ is committed to us? Are we, have we embraced our role in the body of Christ? Are we married to the church or are we simply dating the church? Um, do we view our church as something essential in our lives? Is it family or is it just something we do? Are we prioritizing attendance uh, less or more as we see the day approaching? And then the last couple of weeks, do we strive for unity? Because unity is essential in a church. And, and so we've talked about all of these things. And we'll do probably one more tonight um, about the local church. But as I was trying to figure out how to wrap this up. Because it's kind of scary to jump and not know where you're going to land. Which is kind of what we've been doing in this series. Um, I, I thought, well maybe we should take a step back and, do a, and have a bigger picture view of the local church. Here are some questions I was asking myself this week. How do we know that we've accomplished our purpose as a church? Uh, what does that look like? How do we know that we have met God's expectations of Eastside Baptist Church? Uh, we know what a church is. It's a saved, called out assembly of, uh, a called out assembly of saved, baptized believers. So the church is not a building. The church is people. We know that. But how do we know... If we've produced what Christ expects us to produce, what is our purpose? How do we know that we've done our job? What should be produced in the end? Well, I, I believe that the answer to that question is in the definition I just gave you. That a church is a called out assembly of saved, baptized believers. In other words, a church is people. So what we produce in people... ...is our purpose as a church. And I'd like to look at this very familiar text... ...and then get into this, these thoughts this morning. Matthew chapter 28, it says... Uh, ...we'll begin reading in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying... ...all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations... ...baptizing them in the name of the Father... And of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We have here the local church's mandate. This is the first church at Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is about to ascend to heaven, and he leaves them with his final charge. His the last words that he says. To this church in Jerusalem where the rubber meets the road basically is this. The bottom line is that you need to go and make disciples. Your job as a church, our job as a church is to make disciples. And sometimes we just need to stop and step back and get right back to the bottom line. It's so easy to get used to all the other things we're doing. That we forget the primary thing that we should be doing. And I'd like to look at that today. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word. Pray that you'd help each of our hearts to be, to be ready. And uh, that our, the soil of our hearts, as we heard in, in men's prayer meeting mentioned, that the soil of our hearts would be 
prepared to hear the word so that the seeds of your word can be planted and take root and produce the kind of fruit that, that we desire this morning. And we love you. We thank you for meeting with us. We great, we're grateful that you make a promise to be in the presence of your people. We know that you're here this morning. We pray that you would be pleased by what we do as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you've ever shopped for a car, then you know the, the importance, uh, the value of this question. What's the bottom line? If you've ever shopped for a car, you know that you can go into a, a car lot and it's kind of this way in furniture stores as well, where it's like a Mission Impossible task not to be spotted by the salesman, you know, and, and you kind of drive in somewhere, you see, is there somebody around, you know, I'm going to hide behind this SUV over here, we're going to crawl under the cars to get to the one we want to look at, and inevitably, as soon as you open your door, one pops up, so you, you can't get very well trained at what they do, but one of the things that, that they're known for, a sales tactic, is to ask you what your payment, what a payment you can afford, rather than just give you the price of the car. So um, this happened to us when we were young and trying to look for a car, and, and the salesman was relentlessly saying, no, what's your payment? What payment can you afford? Because I can get you into this 2023 Escalade for $95 a month. You'll pay on it for 46 years, but hey, you can afford that monthly payment. You know, and, and we, I learned very quickly back then to say, don't give me that. What's the bottom line? Because they'll take you then, you say, we're looking for something in this price range, this kind of car. And he'll take you to something with all the bells and whistles, all the features, all the frills. And he'll try to get you convinced that you need this car because of the, of the, of the options that it has. And you have to just sometimes put your, bot, your, 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 uh, your foot down and say, don't put your, <laughs> put your foot down. And say, sorry, Brother Jim Floss, anyway, okay, if you were in Prairie, you know. Um, you put your foot down and say, what's the bottom line? No, I don't, I don't really care about those things. Sometimes they might try to sell you a, a clunker just to get it off the lot. And, and you just need to say, what's the bottom line? I, I don't want to know all of those things. I just need to know what's the bottom line. I don't care about the payment. I want to know how much it costs. I don't want to hear about the bells and whistles. Just tell me the price. In the end, what's the bottom line? How much does it cost? What's the number? That's all I need. And see, we live in a fine print society. Meaning that it seems like every ad on television, maybe if it's for medicine or like a prescription medication or a car, and they have all the fine print at the bottom and sometimes they read it. So you can't hear what it says. You can't comprehend what they're saying. They're just trying to get you to commit to this, pro this, this product, whether or not that you hear the, all the things that could go wrong with the, with the fine print. They want you to sign on the dotted line before you've actually heard the bottom line. And we live in a fine print society, but what I'm thankful for today is Jesus Christ is not a fine print savior. By that, I mean that he puts everything in large print, you can read exactly what you can expect. He hides nothing. Here's the large print of discipleship, okay? Luke chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to hear. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, hey, I want you to be my disciple. Hey, come be my disciple. No, he said, and I believe he said it very deliberately. I, said, I, think he believe, I believe he said it very authoritatively. He said this, if any man... 
come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife. And you know, they're imagining, they're like, what? His children and, and his brethren. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. Sisters, okay, sign me up. No, yay, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus puts everything in large print. There's a cost to following me. I'm going to give this to you up front. You must follow me above everything. You must put me first. It's going to cost you. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to choose me over your, even your closest family relationships. You're going to have to say no to yourself. Here's the bottom line, he says. You must put me first if you want to be my disciple. Listen, the most important label that you and I will ever wear is this, disciple. The word disciple is found in the New Testament over 260 times. And sometimes, you know, these days we kind of refer to ourselves as Christians or believers. But the term Christians only found three times in the New Testament. The term believers found less than that. I think it's two times. Disciple is the label that Jesus Christ gives to those who follow him. That's the label that he gives us. And he tells us, here's the term, it's, it's, it's discipleship. He continuously talked about the characteristics of a disciple. He said, here's what disqualifies you from being a disciple. And he himself said, I'm calling you disciples. In fact, the Greek term for disciple appears in our text in Matthew 28. And, and it's not obvious. It's actually the Greek form of the English form of a Greek word. We'll look at it. As we come to Matthew 28, this is traditionally called the Great Commission, which is an appropriate name. A commission is a commandment or an assignment or an instructive or directive. This is the supreme commandment, the supreme task given to the New Testament church. This is the ultimate job. Now, I believe that our ultimate purpose is to glorify God. But I believe that our primary task in order to accomplish that is the Great Commission. The last thing he said to his disciples were these words. And I want to take a simple look at the Great Commission to help us understand. Because again, we've been talking about the church. We've been talking about being committed to the church. And what we ought to do to be committed. And what it means to us. And what our responsibilities ought to be. But I believe if we do that, we need to know. Now here's what a church is supposed to do. Here's what a church is supposed to produce. And the first thing that I see here in this, in this directive, this commission from Christ, the great commission begins with Christ's authority. He gives his authority to the church. Look at verse 18. He says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore... So Jesus Christ has all authority in the universe. He says, I have all power. It's been given to me. Not only does he have all power, he has every right then to ask anything of us. If he has all authority, then, then he can ask us or tell us to do whatever he wants. In the same way, this is similar to maybe the same way if you were in the military that an officer right, might remind a private of his rank before giving him an, an, an order or giving him instructions. Jesus says, I have the authority, here's my command. And authority means that he is over all nations, 
He's over all people. He's over all, uh, for all of time. If you can think of it, Christ has authority over it. And the implication here is that Jesus Christ is equal in authority to God the Father who sits on the throne of the universe. He says, all power is given unto me. If you read Philippians 2, which I've referred to this recently, it says that, that Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Meaning that he is equal with God, but when God gave him the task of coming to planet earth to live and die for sinners, Christ didn't say, but I'm equal with you. I'm not letting this go. He was willing to let that, that position of authority uh, go so that he could come to earth and die for sinners. He has all authority. He sits on the right hand of his father. They, were, they are equal in power and authority, although there's a different... There's a structure that God the Father is here and Christ is submissive to his Father. But Christ is everything that God is. He has all authority. He has the right to rule and reign the universe. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. But then he says, go ye therefore. Meaning he says, I've received all authority. I have all power um, in the universe. But I'm transferring my authority to you. And telling you it's time for then you to go into all the world and make disciples. He transferred his authority to them. So his followers now have his authority to take the gospel to the nations until the end of time. We go with his authority. It reminds me kind of maybe of, uh, of uh, when there are times where you might tell one child. Say hey go downstairs and tell your siblings it's time for supper. So the child says, okay, so you, you, they go over to the top of the stairs, which you could have done. <laughs> hey, it's time for supper. Come eat. And immediately every sibling's like, let us follow the orders and instructions given us. And they very calmly come upstairs, sit in their seats. No. No, see, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster, right? So what do you as a mom or a dad tell your children? Okay, here's the thing. Go downstairs, tell them what? Dad says, or mom says, it's time for supper. That's a totally different thing now. They go down and they say, okay, now they're still probably not as nice about it as they should be if we know siblings. But they go downstairs and they say, dad says it's time to eat, let's go. And at that point, at least in our house, that means something different than, you know, sibling comes downstairs with very little authority and tries to get us to do something. And it's different. See, we're not going in our own name. We're not going in our own power. No, the power of, of the universe through God the Father has been transferred to us through Jesus Christ. We're not going in our own power and our own authority. No, we have the authority of God to take with us to fulfill this task. You'll see, I think you'll see the connection as we go. So the Great Commission begins with Christ's authority, but the Great Commission produces Christ's followers. It produces Christ's followers. Look at verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That it says, and teach all nations. The word for teach is mathetes, um, and it literally means disciple. So disciple, the Greek word for disciple, is the same as the word teach. The idea of a disciple is a learner. It's a pupil. 
not only a partaker of information, but someone who seeks to become like his teacher. Not just passively hearing information, but engaging in order to learn and to change. See, sometimes we think about a, a pupil or a student being like one of those kids in, 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 like in Charlie Brown cartoons. You know what I'm talking about? Like you hear the teacher in the background, wah, 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 wah. You know, probably some of you are like, yeah, oh yeah, that's what I'm hearing right now, actually. Wah, 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 wah. No, you're not hearing anything. You're just like passively letting this information come. That's not what it means to be a disciple. See, a disciple is someone who when they sit down and the word is open, they listen, they engage, they, they, they try to make sure they ask questions, they, they observe. See, it's someone who studies and observes and then patterns their behavior after the person that they're listening to. The word teach is the verb form of mathetes, which literally means to make disciples. If the Great Commission is followed, it will not only produce believers who claim to be something, it will produce disciples who live something. Amen. See, the first question of, in all this is this. If the goal of the Great Commission is to produce disciples, can you say that you are a follower of Christ? Can you say that? Can you say that, uh, let's say that um, if you, not in just name only, but I mean, do you live in such a way that someone could look at your life and say they follow Jesus? See, disciple's not a passive label. Disciple is, is, a, is an active lifestyle. If someone was to observe the way you speak to the people around you, could they say, well, I sure do hear Jesus Christ in the words that they're using. If someone was to observe the things that make you angry, would they say they're definitely modeling their life after Jesus? See, this is discipleship. Not just that you learn, but that you do. See, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, uh, he said, the, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Meaning that a true disciple is not someone who just says the label, uh, I, I follow Jesus. They don't just wear the t-shirt. The, the they don't just look the part. No, Jesus says, if you're my disciples, you'll continue in my word and it will be show up indeed. Basically, it's not just about what you say. You will consistently live a life that points to Jesus Christ. Amen. And listen, we are, we are as a church, we are called not just to make disciples, we are called to be disciples. And we can't reproduce in ourselves, in someone else, something that we're not living in ourselves. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. It takes time. It's not instant. I mean, we live in a fast food culture. Uh, we live in an instant gratification world. I mean, if the Wi-Fi is slow, we get impatient. If we may wait more than five minutes in a drive-thru, one-star Yelp review. If the light takes too long to change, and it's like they're putting a light every like 400 yards on Highway 11. Here's another one. Here's another one. There's nobody here. I mean, on the way to church, you can really, you know, test your spirituality. It's how it works. We want things to happen right now. And I believe it's affected church ministry too. 
See, we want to produce, but we don't want to endure the length of time it takes to see someone turn into a genuine disciple. So here's what churches do. And I'm not saying that we are doing this. I'm not saying that churches you're familiar are doing, with, doing this. But I, but I do believe this is happening. Churches are trying to create superficial experiences driven by appealing programs and emotional experiences and relevant ministries in order to microwave Christianity. And it may produce numerical growth, but it leaves us playing in the shallow end of the pool instead of mining the depths of a true, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Discipleship takes commitment and it takes time. It's been the whole theme of this series. There's no disciple microwave. There's no short-circuiting the process of growth for our lives. And some, some of you church like a, like a chia pet. Bob Ross, you know, you pour water in it, and a week later you expect him to have a full head of hair. Some of us are like, does that work? You know, you don't, you don't experience, that's not the real world. I mean, the, the chia pet is neat, but really discipleship's not a chia pet. Discipleship's like an oak tree. In other words, the seed gets planted, it gets cultivated, and there are plenty of days you don't see the growth. You don't see the change. And you're wondering, is this happening? But you keep watering. And you keep, uh, you keep trying to do what you know you're supposed to do. Expose yourself to the word. Be around a group of people. Continually submit to God on a daily basis. Saying yes to God about everything. And before too long, you'll look back and you'll say, oh, now I see it. It took a while, and if I'd have gotten impatient, I would have missed what I'm getting to enjoy right now. But sometimes, for some of us, I mean, it takes a while. There's a lot to work out. There's a lot to pour in. There's a lot of patience needed, and it takes some time. Listen, church, discipleship and the work that we're doing is not a chia pet. We need some people with patience. There's no microwave for this. A man who that was called him a... A mathetes, a disciple, in Christ's day would do this. He would find a master, find a rabbi, find a teacher, and attach himself to the hip of that teacher. He'd say, no, this is my guy. This is, this is the one I want to be like. This is the one I want to learn from. I'm going to attach myself to them. It's like an apprentice. We have some in our church who, are, who work as electricians or as plumbers or contractors. Even in the medical field, um, there, there are those apprentices that basically you attach yourself to someone that you're just going to watch. And, and, you, and they say, go get this for me. And that's what you do. Until you're ready, you're just watching, you're just learning, you're taking everything in because you're not ready for it yet. And, and that's what disciple means. Someone who's just, I'm going to attach myself to this person. This is going to be my mentor. I'm going to watch them. I'm going to grow. I'm going to learn. And, and what Jesus is saying is that's the kind of spirit that churches should be producing in believers. Disciples who attach themselves to Jesus Christ and say, I want to I hang on every word that he says, and I want to be just like him. I want to follow him. I want to look like him. I want to sound like him. I want to be like Jesus Christ. We attach ourselves to him as our master. We watch and observe and listen and learn and simply live to be like him. And that is what a church is supposed to be producing. 
true, genuine, committed followers of Christ, those who have counted the cost and said, this is who I follow. Those who said, I know it's hard, but I'm committing. Those who deny themselves and say, I say yes to God no matter what. Those who love others like our theme because that's what disciples do. That's what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. He didn't say, Sunday mornings show up for church, that's good enough. No, you attach yourself to Jesus Christ. You learn through his word and you do everything you can in the Holy Spirit's power to live and be and speak and think and look like Jesus Christ. But, but the question, the transition is, what did he say when he said to his disciples, you know, those first few there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he came along and he said... Follow me. And what? And I will what? I'll make you fishers of men. See, sometimes in our culture, follow me means, okay, I'm going to start going to that church. That's it. Sunday mornings, man, I scratched that off my list. No, Jesus says... If you follow me, a true, genuine disciple won't just follow me. He'll become a disciple who reproduces disciples. You are a disciple. You make disciples. That's the whole point of discipleship in, in John, in the beginning chapters of, of the Gospels. When Jesus said, follow me, what did he say? I will make you fishers of men. What's the last thing he said to the church? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples. Now, sometimes we wonder, man, what's the point? You know, what's the purpose? What's our job? What should we be producing? What is, how do we judge or measure success? We measure success by this. It's not about numbers. It's not about a building. It's not about programs. It's not about organization. I'm not saying these things are wrong. But it's not just about those things. It's about disciples. That a church should be full of disciples. And not just disciples that hear. But disciples who make disciples. From the first commandment of follow me. To the last commission of go ye therefore. The point from the great uh, master was this. Go make disciples. Verse 19, he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Here's the process. We talked about this last week. You evangelize, you give the gospel, you baptize, and then you teach them how to obey God and follow him. That's our task. That's the process. The saving faith in Jesus Christ. The next step of obedience is baptism, which is not salvation. It's simply letting people know that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. The third step is teaching or discipleship that you get into the word, you pour yourself into it, you pour it into, into you, and you become a disciple. This is our task. It's not just to win and baptize. No, we are to win and baptize and reproduce Jesus Christ. And through our investment in those that have been won and baptized. And you might say, this is too big. This is too hard. No one's going to be able to do this. No one cares about this. No one wants to follow Jesus. I can't make disciples. And to that I say, absolutely, you can't. The good thing is, you're not supposed to by yourself. 
See, the gospel begins, as we looked at, the gospel begins with Christ's authority. And the gospel produces Christ's followers. But the great commission, though, is promised Christ's presence through all of it. He said, go ye therefore, verse 19, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And you're going to do it alone, so I hope you're ready for it. No, he says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. See, Jesus Christ tells them that his presence will always be with them in the task. And I want you to really get this. This is so encouraging because we've been talking about church and we've been talking about commitment and we've been talking about how you have a responsibility and we've talked about church, viewing church like a marriage, that it's not a dating relationship. That's the level of commitment that your local church deserves. We've been looking at roles in the body and how we must commit to those roles. And if we don't do it, no one else will. We've got to serve. We've got to attend. We've got to encourage and we've got to make it about other people. And you say, this is just too much. I can't do what I'm supposed to do in church. This is too big for me. And you think, okay, it's all about my commitment. Well, not so fast. Because Jesus Christ also says, you're not the only one committed to this process. No, he says, I commit my presence and my power and my enabling help until the end of time. See, as disciple makers... We can't do this in our power, but we have Christ's authority and we have Christ's commandment and we have Jesus Christ's presence promised us. Discipleship making, disciple making is hard, but it's our job. It's the bottom line. And Jesus Christ says, I'm not going to expect you to do it by yourself. I am with you in this task. My presence is to the end of the world. You know, which that reminds me too. Just that, when he says, teach all nations in verse 19, and he says, until the end of the world, do you think that he's telling those 11 men, literally, that you 11, you disciples, you have to teach all the nations? You 11. Is that possible? No. Is he telling those 11 until the end of the world? Is he telling them, you better be alive till the end of the world? No. What he's telling them Actually, what he's doing is he's not just telling that first Baptist church of Jerusalem. I like to think it was called a Baptist church, but (laughs) that first church in Jerusalem, you know what he was doing? He wasn't just telling them this is their job. He wasn't just telling them they had the authority. He wasn't just telling them they had the commandment and the the pattern and the word to follow. He wasn't just telling them um, that they have his presence. No, he was telling everybody who would ever be a member, a part of a New Testament church... From then until the end of the world, he was telling every New Testament church member, listen, you have my my promise of authority. And you have my commandment, but you also have my presence in the task. It wasn't just that first church. It was Eastside Baptist Church. And it was New Testament churches all over the world today who are feeling the pressure of living in a culture that wants everything fast and doesn't really want to hear about Jesus. And it's just kind of like, no, we don't want to hear that. And we feel the pressure and we think we know that people don't like the message at times and, and we might feel alone. Let me just remind you that the authority and the commandment and the presence of Christ was not just for the first church, it's for you and I too. The call is still the same. 
He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, you can't be a disciple of Jesus if you're not making disciples of Jesus. Listen, a discipleship is not in your church attendance. Discipleship is not in how much you give. Discipleship is not in how Christian you look. Discipleship is how many disciples are here because of you. When you start asking that question, you start thinking, maybe I'm not the disciple I thought I was. We call ourselves a body. A body is a living thing. So tell me, if, if something is alive, does it not grow? Does it not reproduce? I mean, a living organism, if it just sits and nothing happens, could you say it's alive anymore? No, well, we're a living body. So how is it then that so many Christians are not growing or reproducing themselves spiritually? How is it then that so many so-called New Testament churches have stopped reproducing disciples? And all we have to do is obey. Jesus Christ does the empowering work. But I'm afraid that too many of us have grown complacent in our task of producing disciples. And therefore, we have put ourselves in a position to wonder if Christ can call us a sincere, genuine New Testament church. Because a New Testament church reproduces themselves in disciples that look like Jesus Christ. So the first question then today is this, obviously, are you a disciple? If you were accused of being a follower of Jesus in a courtroom, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Could someone watch your life and say, I see Jesus in their life? Say, well, I go to church. Well, unbelievers go to church all the time. And backslidden and stagnant believers can too. Say, well, I read my Bible. Do you, think, do you not think that an unbeliever can read and appreciate the literary contributions of the Bible? I believe so. You say, well, I give money to the church. Anyone with money can donate to any cause they choose. And there are people out there that donate millions of dollars to causes they believe in. You say, well, I'm a good person. I know people that claim to not believe in, in God. That I would say, morally speaking, they are good people. Listen, you can't, those things should not be what we hang our hat on. Discipleship is not, you know, if you go to church or read your Bible or give money or just are a good person. No, discipleship is if, have you attached yourself to Jesus? First of all, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner and that there's no way you can save yourself and so by faith, you looked at the finished work of Jesus Christ and said, I need to be saved. You place your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's the first step to discipleship. The second, has you, have you obeyed uh, God's command to follow in believer's baptism? It's not about salvation. It is about an outward testimony that you have placed your faith in Jesus and you want everyone to know about it. After baptism, then have you attached yourself to Jesus Christ and his word and said, I want to know about you. I want to learn about you. I want to be like you. This is not just about where I go to church. This is about me being like my master. That's discipleship. It's not about if you have four suits or not. And it's not about how active you are. I'm not, I'm the, I want you to be active. And I think we ought to dress our best for the Lord. But we have started defining discipleship with the wrong terms. The fine print, it, Jesus it didn't give us fine print. No, it was large print. 
And he said, you've got to come after me and you've got to put me first and there should be fruit in your life, evidence in your life of something beyond just what you can do in your own strength. Have you repented of your sin and trusted Christ as your savior? Um, you cannot be a disciple. Here are just some things. You can't be a disciple until you've gone through the process of learning God's word and allowing it to produce spiritual fruit in your life through the Holy Spirit. You can't be a disciple if you don't continue in the word. Disciples are consistent. You can't be a disciple if you live for yourself instead of following Jesus. If he's not your master, you can't call yourself a disciple. There's a cost to following. If your faith has cost you nothing, then maybe examine your faith. You can't be a disciple until you're making disciples. Who's here because of you? Who will be standing at the judgment seat of Christ with you because of your influence in their lives? Who will be in heaven because you told them about Jesus? Have you produced a disciple? Have you mentored someone in God's word? We can't be called disciples until we produce disciples. Here's another question. How committed are you to helping Eastside with the bottom line? The bottom line is not good music, although we have good music, and I'm thankful for it. The bottom line is, a nice, is not a nice facility, although I'm thankful for the beautiful building we have. Although half the air conditioning isn't working today, if you've, not, if you've noticed. We had a gremlin crawl in over the weekend. If it's warm, I'm sorry. It's probably good for us. There's a cost to discipleship. Some of you are like, it feels way better than normal. So, okay. The bottom line is not organized programs, although we're trying to have those. The bottom line is not fun activities, although the youth had a scavenger hunt yesterday. It sounded like fun. The bottom line is not slick technology. One of our projectors went out today, too. So, No, the bottom line is this. If we had none of those things, but we are reproducing Jesus Christ in disciples, then we literally could do the work of God without a building. Without a music, I mean, I think music is part of worship. I'm not saying that it's expendable, but reproducing disciples, that's the bottom line. So how many of you actively involved in producing right now? When's the last time you produced one? How many have you impacted to this point in your life? I would dare say this, if you are a believer in a New Testament church like this and you're not about making disciples then you have lost sight of the bottom line. I heard about a British bus company that received complaints that their drivers were in the habit of just driving past dozens of people at, the, at bus stops. So people were complaining. So the company put a statement out and said this, it is impossible for the drivers to keep their timetable if they have to stop for passengers. They went on to say, get rid of the people and the systems run fine. I would say that bus company has lost sight of the bottom line. But cannot the same thing happen in a church? That Christ says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's the first thing he said to those disciples. The last thing he said to those disciples was, go ye therefore and teach. Make disciples in every nation. 
He makes us disciples, so we will make disciples. But it's possible for us as God's people to lose sight of the bottom line. Parents, you are in the business of making disciples in your home. Do not rely on a church to do what's primarily your job, which is to give your children a biblical education. The word of God should have a dominating presence in your home, according to Deuteronomy 6. To our teachers and those that serve here, it's easy to call yourself a teacher if you teach a lesson. But you're not a teacher, you're a disciple maker. So let that impact. Listen, if you think I'm a teacher, you'll study one way. But if you think I'm a disciple maker, you'll start to study a different way. And suddenly your lessons become more important, more significant. They get more time because it's not about teaching a lesson. It's about producing Jesus Christ in these young people that I have in my stewardship right now. To our church, don't assume it's someone else's job to make disciples. Christ didn't give the great commission to the outgoing. And he didn't give the great commission to those that are on staff. He didn't just give the great commission to those that have been Christians the longest. No, he said, I have the authority. Here's the commandment. You have my presence. Everyone go forth. It's the responsibility of every member to take part in the bottom line. And my question is this. Are you doing your part? You might say, well, I'm insecure or I'm afraid. I don't think that I can do that. When some would say, I could never go and say that or give someone the gospel or, or be, have enough Bible knowledge to mentor someone to reproduce Christ in them. So, But my question is, does that mean that you can simply ignore the commandment of Christ to his church because of your limitations? If that's the case, then you have missed the whole point is that we're not to make disciples alone. Christ said, I give you my authority and I give you my commandment and I give you my presence because you can't do this on your own, but I will empower you to do this if you'll simply obey and just do what you're supposed to do. Let me be the one that makes the disciples. You simply obey by going. Your limitations, are you saying that your limitations are greater than God's authority? Or that your limitations are bigger than Christ's command? Or that your limitations are more significant than Christ's presence? No, we have everything we need through Jesus Christ to complete the task that he's given us. To the lost this morning, you can start your discipleship journey today. The first step is acknowledging your sinful condition before God. The second is trusting Christ alone for eternal life. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you producing disciples? Are you helping Eastside with the bottom line? You don't have to do it by yourself. You have Christ's authority. You have Christ's commission. And you have Christ's presence. He's committed that to us. He's today simply looking for those who will be committed to this process. Once again, the local church is not about us. That's the theme, isn't it? It seems to be the theme every week. No, it's about God using us to accomplish something bigger than us. So will you embrace the role that you have in Eastside Baptist Church being an institution 
that makes disciples. I hope that you will. Because if we live our life, we're like the bus driver that drives past the bus stop full of people because he has a timetable to keep. Now, if we do that, if we, if we live as Christians and we don't make disciples, then we missed our stop. It's time to put the brakes on and go back and figure out how to make sure we don't miss the point. What's the bottom line? Make disciples. You're supposed to do it by yourself? No. We have Christ's authority, we have Christ's command, and we have Christ's presence. You do not have to do it alone. You have everything you could possibly need to succeed as a believer individually, but also to help a church fulfill her purpose. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And hope this morning that you will take seriously the challenge. Sometimes messages like this can seem to be, oh yeah, we believe that. Yes, it's inspiring. No, there's decisions to make. The question that comes to my mind this morning is how many disciples are here because of me? That's convicting. How many disciples have you had a hand in reproducing? That's our job. That's our, it's the bottom line. Have you missed the bus stop? To the lost this morning, if you don't know that you're saved, you can be this morning. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. And I hope that you will. I'm praying right now for you that you'd have the courage to step out. We have counselors, those that will show you right from God's word how you can know that if you died today, you'd be on your way to heaven. You can have eternal life this morning by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. We have people that can show you. To the rest of us, are we committed to the bottom line? To those that maybe don't have a church home, would you, if you want to be part of something to, that is significant and greater than yourself, then maybe it's time to commit to a local church and say, I need to help this church fulfill its purpose in the bottom line. Heavenly Father, we love you and we need you this morning. Just pray that you continue to speak to us and help us today to be submissive and surrendered to the way that your word is speaking to us this morning. God, we want to do right um, by the way that you have met with us. Help us not to be complacent and just sit where we are without making a choice, if there's a choice to make. I pray that you'd help those that this morning who may not know they have eternal life, that you give them the courage to step out and place their faith in Christ. And then I pray for those who maybe have been Christian for a long time, but have not been not been named disciple because they haven't produced disciples. Help us, Lord, to gain a passion for what our calling is as part of a local church. Lord, we love you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen.